0: I had this thing at a wedding yesterday, so they may have turned the gain way up on my uh, on my device. Might be the problem. Uh, <clears throat> I usually take it when I'm doing a, an outdoor wedding because usually the stuff they have is not going to work. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, you know, I have to bring my own. Now, did you guys notice something this morning? Hello, do you see that? It's amazing. Yeah, I didn't have to go in and it was already, you know, he just flicked it over and it was there. Did you see that? Yeah. Hallelujah. The simple things in life that make me happy. Uh, very, very good. Uh, amazing uh, little teeny box about this big. And uh, you plug the cables into it. It's called the uh, HDMI doctor. And uh, Cost a whole hundred bucks and away you go. And uh, there you are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm a happy man. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But it is uh, just fantastic. <laughs> How are you doing this morning? Amen. You're looking good. I got to tell you, you are looking good. You're a little sparse today. I can tell it's summer still. You know, people on holidays and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, end up being away. Uh, my, I'm going to be away. I don't know if my wife's coming with me, but I'll be away next Sunday. I'm going to be uh, preaching in Oshawa, at the Durham uh, Christian Fellowship, uh, filling in for uh, John there. And I've been working with him and uh, helping to give some leadership oversight to the church and meeting with their leadership team and uh, with, uh, with Ken and uh, stuff. So uh, when he was going to be away, I asked if I'd fill in. I said, absolutely, sure. And I think Barry's filling in there in October or something, aren't you? Or are you trying to go to... You're trying to pawn that off of me so you can go to Dallas or something, aren't you? <laughs> That's what I heard. Yeah, anyway, so. California. <laughs> California. All right. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, but um, it is awesome to be here and awesome to be able to talk to you this morning. Uh, you know, I'm just going to, I, I, I kind of have to do just a little quick review only because it really relates directly to what I got to say this morning. Today, I want to talk about doing from chair one. And uh, I told you I was going to get to this eventually, to the, the doing part, because we've been talking about the being part for so much. But, um, you know, we've talked about the three chairs, right? Chair one, the kingdom of God. Chair two, the kingdom of self, uh, which is about our salvation. We all come to Jesus because we have a need, right? And so what happens is we come to him, and we, 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 we stay there. We get stuck in ourselves when he's actually invited us to go all the way to chair one. But the vast majority... Of Christians are living in chair two. We're saved, but it's it's we're we're missing out on God's kingdom purposes because we get stuck on ourselves. And then there's chair three, which is the kingdoms of this world. You know, that's where we are before we meet Christ. And uh, and so you know we're stuck in all the the Bible talks about us being you know prisoners and slaves to sin, uh, you know, to the kingdoms of this world. And then we hear the call of God, we, we, we head toward chair one, but we get stuck in chair two. And you know, living out our full potential is about getting to chair one. And uh, that's where we want to live and where we want to dwell. And then last week I talked about the fact that the lie we hear all the time in our heart is that our work is the deciding factor in the outcome of our life. This is what's sold to us through the world. It, it's, it's all based on your work. But the truth is, grace is the most important deciding factor in your future, and in the outcome of your life. It's God's grace. It's not not what we do. Uh, It's our grace. Uh, The grace of God, I should say, that is there for us. And then I talked about the passage in 1 Corinthians uh, 1, where it talks about uh, the Jews requesting a sign and Greeks' wisdom and how the, the preaching of Christ and crucified is a stumbling block to the Greeks and foolishness to the Jews. A stumbling block to the Jews because it was an insult. Remember, it can't be that easy. There's no way it can possibly be that easy because they... We're, we're from childhood right up, raised to follow the law. The law was how we honored God. The law was how we became qualified for eternity. And it was foolishness to the Gentiles because their rational mind could not conceive of how this could possibly work. And remember, we use the story of Naaman, and he was like angry because Naaman was not a Jew, and Naaman was thinking to himself, like, you know, there's lots of better rivers that I could wash in uh, than, than the Jordan, and why would, I, why would the prophet ask me to go do that? It wasn't rational. It didn't make any sense. Uh, and yet, uh, we have to recognize that that often is what God asks us to do, the foolish thing to confound the wise. And so we talked about that. And so then we conclude that moving out of chair two into chair one is not hard work, In fact, it doesn't depend on your work at all, and this is the thing we have to to get into our spirit, is that it really doesn't depend on our work at all, and that's a hard thing for us to grasp. It's a hard thing for us to wrap our hearts around, because we live in a culture where everything depends on my work, and it's true. I'm not advocating that you quit your job, okay? I'm not suggesting you don't do your schoolwork. I'm not suggesting that you don't work your hardest at your job or that you don't perform well at your job. That's not the point. The point that I'm making is that no matter how hard you perform at your job, job, no matter how high you climb that company ladder, no matter what effort you pour into it, it never is the thing that secures your identity. It is not going to define who you are. And if it is what defines who you are. What happens when you lose your job? What happens if, if something happens that you're not able to do your job? What happens if the company closes down? What happens uh, if your relationships are, are suddenly taken away? If our identity is wrapped up in those things rather than Jesus, then when those things are taken away, our identity disappears, right? We have to understand that our identity is in Him. And then we work from our identity, right? The world says, right, do, have, and become. You work at a job, you do all these things, you get a career, then you're able to say, look what I have. I've got a home, I've got a family, I've got a a corporate position, I'm a lawyer. And then you go on to the next phase and you say, now, this is who I am, right? Do, have, become. I've become a success. I've become a well-known doctor, lawyer. I've become the most successful parent in the world, etc., etc. It's, it's do, have, become. But the kingdom of God is become or be, right? And then have and then do. Who am I? I am a child of God. And because I'm a child of God, I have all of the things that, of the kingdom at my disposal. And that determines what I'm able to do. Does that make sense? And that is the way that we have been uh, moving in the last few weeks. So this morning I want to move forward into this and talk about the role that doing does have in my life because I'm not advocating we don't do anything, right? This is not what I'm advocating. I'm just talking to us about how we do and from where we do. So immediately, this is interesting because immediately after I finished last week, my message, I had a number of people come up to me and, uh, they, they said to me, listen, so okay, I, I get what you're talking about, right? But okay, so now what do I do to get there? You know, what do I do to get to that place of rest, that place of peace, that what do I do to, to, to receive this or to receive that? And I smiled to myself because it's precisely the question that I asked myself for years and years and years and years. Lord, what is it you want me to do to, to, to to you know, be able to break this thing off in my life, or to to have this working in my life, or to you know uh, be successful at this or be successful at that, and the question betrays us. It does, and it betrays us because uh, what must I do is the wrong question, and it betrays us because of the central part to the question. It's still about my doing, right? That's the betrayal, and it's still about my doing. I I've got to do something. To get this thing working in my life. Right? And and we're convinced that there's something that I must do. And that the the truth of the matter is, there is never a what must I do in order to be. Everybody say never. Never. There is never a what must I do in order to be. Never. Now, you got to get this into your spirit. It absolutely, you have to grasp this, because this is so central to understanding how the gospel message works, and, and, and how the gospel works in our life. We have to get this in our life. The question, what must I do, can only be asked if it's asked in the right context, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning. I cannot ask the question, what must I do, in relationship to my alignment, how I am positioned with Christ. I'm a son. I'm an heir. I'm a daughter. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is no due for alignment. Right? We never ask the question in connection with our alignment. Right? I can only ask the question, what must I do in relation to my assignment? Okay? It's pretty good alliteration, isn't it? It's awesome. Yeah. Came up with that this week. I thought that was pretty good. You know... I cannot ask the question in relationship to my alignment. And that's what most of the time we're asking the question about. Because we want, to, we want to make sure that people are happy with us, that we're performing well, that God is pleased with us, that God is happy with us, that I'm in the will of God. I hear that all the time, right? And when we ask the question, must, what must I do? And if, the, if, if we're asking the question in relation to anything to do with our alignment with God, it's the wrong question. We can only ask the question if it's in the context of my assignment from God. Right? So I can ask the question if I know that that my my job is, uh, you know, as a counselor. Then I can ask God, you know, what must I do, uh, you know, to improve my counseling techniques? I can ask that. But I can't ask it with respect to my uh, alignment, my identity. I can't. Because that comes from Jesus Christ. That comes from who I am in him. Somebody say amen. Amen. So in other words, there's nothing that I can do to affect my alignment with God. Now, do you believe this? See, I think we say we believe it, but we have a hard time living it. You know, we, we end up falling into sin, right? And we think to ourselves, okay, I don't ever want to do that again, God. And we feel like our alignment is somehow out right now because of the sin, right? So we say to ourselves, I got to fix this. Here's what I need to do. I need to read the Bible. I need to pray. I need to fast. I need to do this. I need to do that. And we go through a whole litany of things to try and fix our alignment. And then we say, ah, now I finally got it down. It's like I told you two weeks ago. You know, I did that with television, right? And watching the news. I, 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 I fixed the problem by taking the TV, wrapping the cord around it, stuffing it in my basement. Gone for six months, and my alignment was perfect. It was perfect. Me and Jesus like that. And then Sherry was like, you know, could we maybe, you know, get the TV back up so, you know, when I'm doing some cleaning and stuff, uh, you know, Ryan could watch some of the kids' shows on TV or whatever. And I was like, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Because me and Jesus, like that, right? So, yeah, I can do that. I bring the TV up. Guess what? I'm watching the news 24-7 again as soon as we put the thing in the living room because it never had anything to do with my doing, The putting it in a basement was an act on my behalf to try and fix a problem of alignment, which can only be fixed by being in proper relationship with him. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's all heart issue. That's all stuff. All I can do is just say, Jesus, I need your help. And all I can do is just say, forgive me. And all I can do is just trust him. And all that uh, that self-discipline, if it's trying to fix an alignment problem, it'll fail you. Because you don't save yourself. You don't fix yourself. You don't repair yourself. Jesus does that. What you need to do is say, God, here I am. You need to keep open lines of communication. You need to find accountability partners. You need to be somebody who's honest about all this nonsense in your life. And Jesus is the one who heals us. Someone say amen. Amen. We don't heal ourselves. Jesus heals us. Amen? All right. If I'm not making any sense to you. Lord help you. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, Jesus is the one who's done it. It's his love. It's his sacrifice, right? He, he paid the price for my sins, all of them, past, present, and future, right? Either that's the truth or it's not. If it's the truth, then I need to live and reflect that truth. He's the one that has made me an adopted person into his family. I'm a son, not because of any work I did, but because of Jesus, right? I'm grafted in the vine. I'm part of the family. I'm, I'm sitting in the living room with our Heavenly Father, and I'm having chats with him. Why? Because of Jesus. Not because of me. Not because I'm good-looking, smart, and educated, and all the rest of it. That's true, isn't it, dear? <laughs> <laughs> not because of any of that, but because of what Jesus has done. Amen? It's because of what Jesus has done. And I know sometimes the temptation is strong when we've messed up to think, I can fix this. I got this, Lord. No, you don't have this. And the reality is, you'll be right back in the kettle again, maybe even in the fire, if you don't turn yourself over to Jesus. Hello? Now, that doesn't mean self discipline is not important. It's just that self discipline won't fix alignment problems. Jesus fixes those. Self discipline's great. In, in when it comes to your assignment, but it doesn't fix your alignment. Jesus' work fixes your alignment. Are you hearing me this morning? Okay. So does this mean then that there's nothing for me to do? If, if everything has been done by Jesus, does this mean that the Christian journey is this serendipitous tiptoe through the tulips experience where I sit around in my underwear playing video games all day and God has nothing for me to do? That's not a visual any of you need to take home with you, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you honestly that nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. Every redeemed believer, say every, every. is a member of God's household. And he or she as a member of God's housefo- household is part of the global empire that we call the kingdom of God. Am I making sense so far? And God has at his disposal, given, I should given us to our disposal, all the resources of the kingdom. So all of us have at our disposal his resources because we're part of the family and part of the empire called the kingdom, right? Tracking so far? And the king desires for us to live a purposeful life. I don't actually like the word serendipitous. We've talked about this at staff meeting before. You know, the uh, concept that things just happen, just nice things just happen because they just happen. No, I'm a purposeful person. I like to be purposeful. And most of the good things in my life happen. What in the world is that? See, Microsoft, why would I want to do an update for Microsoft in the middle of a presentation? Why do I keep Microsoft products on my Mac? It just is the craziest thing. Oh, my word. Get out of here. (sighs) Crazy. Uh, Anyway, and then it bumps you out of the program when you're doing it, too, you silly thing. Uh, All right, where were we? Uh, let's see no find my mouse now uh. <laughs> for some reason Excuse me. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, so a rabbi and a- <laughs> <laughs> all right. So it's important for us to understand then that our assignment, right, never, everybody say never, never never procures or gives us or qualifies us or secures our alignment. Do you understand that? Our assignment never, never procures our alignment. You have to get that through your head. Because before we can start talking about what your assignment is, you've got to get freed up from this thing where you're going to start finding your identity again in Christ from your assignment. If you keep defaulting to that, you're going to, to be a train wreck. Right? You say, well, that wouldn't happen in ministry. It happens in ministry all the time. A person gets up, preaches a message or shares something, and thousands don't come to the altar. They go, oh, no, Jesus must be upset with me. Yeah, I've missed God. Do you see what I mean? And how all of these alignment issues start to come in, right? And there may be some things you need to tweak in your delivery. It might have to work on your assignment, but it never changes your alignment. Are you hearing me this morning? And this is so central to our being able to operate as a healthy church in the city of Belleville. We have to be a people who continuously work out of and fulfill our assignment from our alignment in Jesus Christ. If we don't do it this way, we are going to be forever in trouble uh, in the kingdom of God. Amen? I am, because I am, says I am. Amen? Never because of what I do. Right? That is the truth of the gospel. Now, that same question that I get asked all the time, you know, what must I do? Did you know that... That question was asked of Jesus in the scripture. So I want to look at that this morning. So Jesus answered to the question, what must I do to receive eternal life? What must I do to affect my alignment, in other words? Look how Jesus handled this question when he was asked it twice in the scripture. All right? Um, what must I do to be saved, healed, uh, find peace, please God, etc.? Jesus was asked it in this context. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This question, the same story is related twice in Mark 10 uh, and in Luke chapter 18. All right? This story is twice in the scripture in those two passages. And uh, this is a man, he comes and he falls at Jesus' feet, right? And he says, what must I do to inherit life, eternal life? And Jesus refers him to the law. He says, you know the commandments, right? Uh, he, he says, uh, he's probing the man's heart here. He says, you know the commandments. He wants to see, I think, how deep does this man's spiritual desire really go? And then the man responds, whether arrogantly or naively. He said, I've kept all those things since I was a child, right? And then what does Jesus say to him? He says, well, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. And then he said to him, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Right? Do you guys remember the story in the scripture? Right? Now, why did Jesus handle the story this way? Why did he handle it this way? Because I think he was trying to get to the man's nature of doing The Bible says that after Jesus said that to him, the man turned away and he walked away because he was very wealthy. What was his trust really in? It was in his wealth. Where did his wealth come from? It came from what he did, right? And so Jesus was getting right at the heart of the matter. It's not about what you've done. And so then he has to turn to the disciples and they're like, what? And Jesus says I tell you the truth it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to inherit the kingdom and they're like well then who in the world can be saved and then what does Jesus say to him he says with man with your work with your effort this is impossible but with God with who with God, all things are possible. In other words, you know, your alignment does not come from your work. It comes from God. Do you see how he was shredding that trust in his labor, in his work, in his success away from the man and leaving him in a place where he had to see that it all comes from God? Isn't that what he's doing to all of us? Are you getting this this morning? All right. So he Wiggle the cable on the back of the, uh, the thing there. I'm going to have to. Oh. All right. <laughs> Did you get that this morning? He was stripping away that man's confidence in the flesh. Paul said in Scripture, he said, if anybody has reason to have confidence in the flesh. He said, I do. And then he went over all of his credentials, you know, how he was circumcised on the third day, how this happened, that happened. And he goes through all his credentials and he says, if anybody has reason to have confidence in the flesh, it's me. But my confidence is not in my flesh. My confidence is in Jesus Christ. My confidence is in him who's given his life for me, who's sacrificed for me. That's where our confidence must lie. If it lies in anything else, if you're putting it in your own work, you're done before you ever get out of the gate. If you ever wondered why it is that, that you know, you see these, these famous preachers and evangelists and why they fall, the principal reason why they fall morally is not because they made too much money, is not because they were too famous. The reason they fall is because their identity became something that derived from what they were doing and their success rather than from Jesus. At some point in their journey, their identity shifted from being rooted in Jesus, and it becomes rooted in my success, in what I've done, in what I am doing, in what I'm going to do. It's got to stay in Jesus. If it gets off track, even the slightest measure, you're opening yourself up to destruction. It's got to be in Jesus. Someone say amen. What is impossible with man is possible with God. See, we read that story and say, yeah, see, that's right. Rich people, they're the ones that have a hard time. You know, you could take wealth out and substitute anything else in there. And you got the same problem. Was Jesus really trying to pick on the rich? That just happened to be what this guy's issue was. This guy was rich, Jesus goes for the issue, right? And, and I know that because of the next story we're going to look at. Alright? The next story is the story of the Good Samaritan. Right? You guys know this one. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Again, Luke 10. This is an expert of the law that comes to Jesus and he asks this question. What do I got to do to get eternal life? What do I got to do? How do I get eternal life? And Jesus, well, you, you know the law, right? He says, you know the law. How do you interpret it? Isn't that interesting how he says that? He doesn't say, what does it say? He says, how do you interpret it, right? And the man says, you know, uh, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Now, he's an expert in the law, and that's a pretty good question, answer to the question. How many of you know that's a pretty good answer? That's a, a really, really good answer, and you would expect a good answer from an expert in the law. You would expect a good answer, right? You would. Now, here's the thing. The original, he was quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, uh, ch- chapter 6, verses 4 to 7. He's actually quoting right from the book of the law. That's how good he was. And this is what it says. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord their God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. Walk along the road when you lie down, when you get up, etc., etc. Now, do you notice a little bit of a difference? Do you, ever, do you notice some difference? the expert in the law added the neighbor part. You know, I went and looked through every reference to that statement given in the law. It's repeated numerous times. Not once does it have the neighbor thing in there. It's interesting, isn't it? He added, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's actually not in the uh, original commandment. Not that God, there aren't lots of other places where God tells us to take care of our neighbor. No, no, no. It's just that this man, for whatever reason, decided to kind of tack that in. Maybe he thought, I'll impress Jesus. I'll even say, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what I'll throw in there. Just to earn some brownie points. Right? And then, Jesus says, okay, who's your neighbor? Right? Getting right to the heart of where this man is at. Remember, his original statement was, you know what's in the law. How do you interpret it Jesus is going for it again in this story the first man it was his wealth this man he's going after his security in his uh exercising and interpretation of the law Jesus is going for it he is going after this guy and so he says to him all right well who's your neighbor and then he tells the story of the good Samaritan right tells the story of the good Samaritan uh, how a man was beaten and left on the side of the road by thieves and uh, how a priest walks by and a Levite walks by and they both ignore him. They don't want to be touching this man who could be on death's door who's lying naked on the side of the road. But the Samaritan comes along, binds up his wounds, takes him to a, to a hotel, pays for his, his care uh, and, and says, well, I've got to go but when I come back I'll square up the rest of the bill. Uh, I'll do whatever I need to do to take care of this man. Now the Jews didn't like Samaritans. They considered the Samaritans, uh, those who came from just two tribes of Israel and who practiced their their following of their faith a little differently than the rest of the Jews to be, uh, you know, kind of an aberration. And so the fact that Jesus used a Samaritan was a double whammy because they see and interpret the law different than he sees and interprets the law. Do you get what Jesus was doing here? And so then he uses in the story a good Samaritan taking care of this man. And then he asks the question at the end of the story, which one was a neighbor to the man? And he has to admit, this expert in the law has got to be able to say that his Levite and his priest didn't do it. The Samaritan did. Right? That's a powerful story in the scripture. Absolutely powerful story in the scripture. And you know what we learn from this is that Jesus has a way of cutting right to the heart of the matter. What is that thing that you're putting your trust in for your alignment? Is it your wealth? Is it your interpretation of the law? Jesus cuts right through all the nonsense and says, no, no, it's only about how you act in terms of your relationship with me. Do you love the way I love? Do you serve the way I, I serve? Do you give the way I give? This is all that matters, and it's all about walking in relationship with him. And he strips away all the stuff that we, we trust in. And then we see, when we move forward, Paul, he had an answer to the question as well, because that was the other time the question was asked. You remember the story of the jailer? Right? Paul and Silas are in prison, and the whole place is shaken. And uh, the prison guard, he's, he thinks, all these prisoners are going to escape. I'm done. So he's going to fall on a sword and commit suicide rather than fall in the hands of his bosses because he, he knows that it would be preferable to be dead than to be drawn and quartered while you're alive, right? So he's going to commit suicide, and Paul says, don't, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. We're all here. Nobody's left. Nobody's escaped. We're all here. He's stunned. And then he finally asks for some torches to be lit, turn the lights on, and then he comes and he says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Now, I don't know if he was asking the question purely from a spiritual perspective or not. Because he might have been asking, how do I make sure that I don't get in big trouble for what just happened here? Right? But he says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be in proper alignment? And Paul, he's pretty quick quick to just cut right to it. His thing is, is that there's nothing that you need to do. Nothing. He says, just be, leave. Right? Just believe. That's it. There's nothing you you, you do. You just believe. Our being comes out of believing. All we have to do is take him at his word. When you're born in your physical family, Right? How many of you, you know, become three years old and you go, is daddy really my daddy? (laughs) I wonder if mom's really my mom. Huh. You know, our eyes, they look the same, but my nose has always been different. I just wonder, you know? I mean, they tell me that I am, but is that really enough? Hello? Maybe if I want to be their son or their daughter, I I need to to do some extra work around the house so that they really do look at me as their son or their daughter. Does this sound like your life, your your childhood? No. We just simply accepted. They said, you know, they loved us right from the time we came out of the womb, took care of us, uh, loved on us, were affectionate to us, and we just believe that they're our mom and dad. We believe that we're part of the family. We believe that we're allowed to sit around the table and have dinner. We believe that we have uh, at our disposal everything that is uh, in our home. I can use the hot water. I can use the, the the television. I can, you know, there may be rules around those things for my own health and benefit. But the reality is, it's all at my disposal because why? I'm part of the family, and I accept it purely on faith. Our relationship with Jesus is exactly the same. Just as I didn't do anything to become my parents' child, I was by right of birth. You don't do anything to, be, to secure that you're a child of God. You simply need to believe that he died for you and accept that you have been grafted into his family and live by that, and you're saved. I love when C.S. Lewis said, "You know, some people can remember the moment they made that decision. They said, it's true, Eureka, Jesus is real. I give my life to you, Lord, and they're saved, right? He said, but other people can't. They just realize one day, wait a minute, I believe this. Is that person any less Christian than the person who went, Eureka! Right? No. He said, it's kind of like, you know, you're on a train, he says, from from France to, to, to Paris to Brussels. And he says, and... And some, of you, some people are on the train and they, they're actually looking out the window and they're cognizant of the journey. And when they cross the border from France into Belgium, they're able to go, oh, look at that, right? I'm in Belgium now, right? However, he said, some people on the train, they're kind of napping, not paying much attention. And then all of a sudden they go, hey, I'm in Belgium. And you know what? And some people, their Christian journeys like that. They wake up one day and they go, wait a minute. I actually believe this stuff. God, you're awesome. They're no less Christian than the person who was at the front, so aware of how deep all their sin was, fell on their face before God, weeping and moaning and wailing and gnashing of teeth and said, Jesus, save me. Kind of like my wife and I's story. I don't know if she can really remember the day she gave her heart to the Lord, but I can remember when I did because I did a lot of hard living before I uh, came to Christ. But we're both equally saved. We're both equally as children. We're both equally loved by him, adored by him. It doesn't matter, you know, what that conversion experience looked like. It's whether I believe that Jesus is my father, that Jesus is my, my brother, that I am saved and set free because of him. Right? Are you getting me today? Some of you, your religious spirits are going, well, if you don't have a card that says when you actually gave your life to Jesus, are you really saved? Shake it up here. Shake it up. Come on. <laughs> Ah, oh, Jesus! All right, that brings us around to the final point here this morning. Your work in alignment is simply believing. Your work in your setting your alignment with Jesus, being a son, a daughter, uh, you know, part of the uh, the bride of Christ. All of that comes from believing. Everybody say, just believing. Just That's it. That's it. Just believing no one is justified by works. Everybody say no one. We're justified by His grace. Amen? Ephesians 2, 8, 9 makes it abundantly clear. But for by grace are you saved through faith. That's the believing part, right? Through faith. Not of works so that no one can boast, right? So that nobody gets to brag. We all come to Jesus the same way. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 makes it so clear. Nobody gets to brag. We're all there because of the work of Jesus. And the only thing we did was accept the truth and believe it, put faith in it. And we're saved. Right? Those who don't have faith in it, who don't believe it, then they're still on the outside looking in. But those who do believe it, they're part of the family. Am I making any sense to anybody? All right. Proper alignment with God as a son and an heir comes only by grace. Everybody say by grace. It comes by grace. It doesn't come by any work that you do. Alignment only comes by grace. Alignment only comes by grace. Alignment only comes by grace. All right. Alignment only comes by grace. Now, here's the rest of it. <clears throat> all right your assignment comes out of your alignment so now if you understand that alignment only comes by the grace of God now we start talking now we're safe to start talking about your assignment now we can start talking about what you have been called and empowered and equipped to be able to do but only now if we get this out of order If you start putting assignment before alignment, you're in big trouble. Because as soon as you start thinking God will now God will be pleased with me because I'm doing this, this, and this. He was already pleased with you. If if you get this flipped, you're in trouble your whole Christian journey. I'm serious. You are in devastatingly huge trouble your whole Christian journey. And this is the key. Paul recognized that. So Ephesians 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. Not of works, it's a gift of God so that nobody can boast. What does verse 10 say? Verse 10 says, for you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for you to do. The very next verse after he settles the issue of your alignment talks about your assignment. The very next verse, now that the alignment's settled, he says, now we can talk about assignment. You've been saved to do good works. You have been redeemed to work. You have been redeemed to actually get some stuff done. Nobody is redeemed to sit on the benches. Nobody is redeemed to sit back and do nothing. Nobody is redeemed to just coast. We're all here to have all hands on deck, all of us being involved in the family business. Someone say amen. We are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. His desire is that we do, but our assignment has to come from our being, our alignment. This is seen throughout Scripture. Listen to some of these verses. My battery must have died. Alright, here we go. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Hmm. Isn't that something? So after you're saved, after you've turned your life over to Christ. Repentance simply means to go 180 degrees in the opposite direction. After you've done that, now keep fruit. Keep fruit in. That is reflective of it. Right? Prove your repentance, he says, by your deeds. You don't get saved by your deeds, but you demonstrate, in other words, that you're saved by your deeds. Are you catching this? Live a life, Paul says, worthy of the calling you've received. Live a life worthy of the calling. You don't get your life through the calling, you live a life worthy of the calling. All right? Produce fruit. More fruit. And fruit that will remain. The fruit doesn't get you saved. The fruit doesn't secure your alignment. The fruit comes because of your alignment. Are you getting this? All of these verses are all speaking about the same thing. They're all showing us the same thing. That because I'm in alignment with Jesus... He's able to give me assignments and I'm able to produce fruit. And that's the only reason I can produce fruit is because I'm already properly aligned. Now he can give me an assignment. He can give me stuff to do. If I'm not properly aligned and I I go after assignments, guess what happens? I mess up every time. The fruit becomes about me. The results give me a puffed head. I mean, come on we see it over and over again. If my results don't produce the, the fruit that I wanted, then I get defeated and discouraged and think that God doesn't love me. And on and on and on it goes. If, if, if I am working to secure my alignment with God, I will be in trouble my entire Christian journey. But if I accept by faith that I am his son, that I am an heir And that all of the wealth of the kingdom is at my disposal to do the things that God has called me to do. I'll be able to do. And I'll be able to work. And I will be able to do so with grace, with security, with strength, with joy. And it will never, ever become something that I cannot handle or endure. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. God has plans for us. There is much work to be done. But our assignment can only be done from our alignment as a son. There's so much to be done, church. There's so much work. And, and you know, sometimes we're, we're sitting on the bench still because we're so afraid that if we stepped out that God would smack us back into line again. Why do we have these fears that, of failure? Why do we have these fears that I'm not going to be able to do it? We have them because we still believe that how I perform at the thing that God gives me to do is going to determine my alignment. And it's not. It has no bearing on it at all. When Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant, when he says, well done, he's not not speaking to us, uh, telling us that because you worked, I love you. No. He's already looking at us as a, as a son, he's already looking at us and he's just just the same way as you do when your child comes home from school and they perform well in something you know, you go, oh, that was good job you know, good job excellent work, right they should never feel if they come home and the report card's bad that you don't love them because the report card's bad and if you don't pull up your socks, well, there'll be no love tomorrow come on, we don't make them feel that way if you do, may I suggest a new parenting strategy for you come and talk to me afterwards, we'll work on that. The reality is that, you know, we say, well, you know, that probably wasn't your best effort, you know, so let's see what we can do to help bring that mark up. But how they feel about themselves should never, ever, ever be on the table. Right? They're still adored, they're still loved. Yeah, they didn't perform well, but guess what? It doesn't change who I am. Do you hear me? It's the same way in the kingdom. Why are we so afraid to step out and, and pray for somebody in the grocery store who's, who's walking with a limp or to, to pray with a coworker who's who's you know gone through a difficult situation or an illness in the family? Why are we so afraid to ask for healing and, 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 and to lay hands on somebody? Well, what happens if they're not healed? What happens if this? Well, you know what? It doesn't change who you are. What happens if they're not? Uh, they're not. That's it. That's all that happens. That's on him, not on you. Amen. Hello? If you think it's on you, guess what you're still doing? You're still working to secure your alignment. It's not on you, it's on him. That's really rattling some of your faith. I'm telling you, you got to get this stuff in your spirit. That's why I can lay hands on anybody, I can pray for anybody, I can believe for anything because the outcome's on Jesus. I only know one way to pray. I never pray, well, Lord, if you want to heal this person, then Father, well, you know, Lord, if, you really, if you're up to it today, if you're not too busy. No, I pray for healing because he told me to pray for healing. I stand on the word because he told me to stand on the word. But guess what? What happens is up to him. It's on his shoulders. And I got good news for you. He's got really broad shoulders. He can take it. The weight is not going to overcome him. It's not going to concern him. It's not going to blow his mind. He's not going to say, oh my goodness, I didn't see that coming. You know, Barry went out and stepped out and he actually prayed for that. I can't do that. Are you hearing me? I mean... All these ideas we get in our head, the reason they're stuck there is because we still think how I perform is what determines my alignment, my relationship with God. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. My relationship with God is because of what Jesus did for me. And the health of my relationship with God is rooted in my continuing belief and standing in that belief of what he's done for me. And then I act and I do as a believer. Hello? I don't know if I can make it an any plainer. I mean, I'm working up a sweat trying to get this out here this morning. This is, this is as clear as you're ever going to get it. You understand what I'm saying? It can't be any clearer than this. Everybody say alignment, alignment. Before, before assignment. assignment. Alignment. Before Before assignment. assignment. So does God have things for you to do? Absolutely. Tons of stuff for you to do. But are you ready for this earth-shattering kaboom? What he has for you to do isn't nearly as important. Isn't nearly as important as you accepting who you are. People say, well, does God want me to be an electrician? I don't know. I don't really think he cares that much. <gasps> People have a heart attack. You, you, you don't think God, God cares? No, I, I really don't think it matters. I really don't. Well, what if, I, what if I want to be a fireman then instead? I don't think he cares. Oh, yeah? Well, what if I want to be a brain surgeon? Again, don't think he cares. What? Why does that startle so much? Because we're still thinking that God's pleasure with me comes from my, my doing, from my assignment. It doesn't. It comes from my alignment. So if my kids come to me and say, Daddy, I'm not going to be a preacher, I don't care. I don't love many any less because he's not going to be a preacher. Think about it that way, right? If your kid says, well, I'm going to be a fireman. Okay, be a fireman. Hello, are you hearing me? If my child says, I'm going to be a missionary to darkest Africa, okay, I want to pray over you, but, you know, go for it. If they say, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that, guess what? If it ain't immoral or illegal, cool. <laughs> I, you know, as a parent, as a parent, we go, that's okay, good. If that's, if that's what you feel that, that your gifts are best equipped for, then go for it. We just release them. We just say, you know, we, we, we actually sow them into the world. Right, And we're able to do it with joy because we recognize that they know who they are, so what they do is almost superfluous. That's a big word for it doesn't matter. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying today? Are you getting me? And we get so hung up on this do stuff because secretly we're still finding our identity in what we do. Well, are you saying that God would still be pleased with you if you weren't preaching? Yep. He'd love me just as much. And I know it. That's the most awesome part about it. I know He'd be just as happy with me and pleased with me and love me just as much if I quit tomorrow. Now... Does that mean I'd be happy with that outcome? No, I might be kind of miserable because I have giftings and I have anointings and I have things that I I envision in my life I want to do. But guess what? God would still love me exactly the same. It would not change His affection for me one bit. And when I can get that in my spirit, then I am free to do my assignment. When I realize that my identity doesn't come from being called Pastor Kevin, Apostle Kevin. Barry's doesn't come from being called Prophet Barry. We don't get our identity from that title nonsense at all. No. I don't get my, my identity from being asked to speak here or asked to speak here or do this or that. Neither does he, neither does any of us. Because we recognize our identity comes from who I am and that was settled by Jesus. That was done by him. And what I do, here, here's a verse that's real. I'll just close with this one because this one will really throw you off. The Bible says this, delight yourself in the Lord, alignment, and he will give you the desires of your heart, assignment. hoo 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 Hello! Get yourself in alignment, and then he'll give you what your heart desires. You want to be a fireman, then go be a fireman. What a way to go! I keep mentioning firemen. Maybe I missed my calling. I don't know. But... Or maybe it's because they really don't have to do anything except shine their truck until there's a, a, a fire. I don't know. But, uh, but you know, uh, the reality is that the Bible makes it very plain. Get my alignment and keep it straight and then go do what's in your heart. But that's another message. All right, let's stand together this morning. Woo! That is good stuff. I really hope you're getting this in your spirit. Because the things that God has for you to do are huge. But they're not dependent on how well you perform or your identity is not secured by any of those things that you do. It's secured in Jesus. And from the revelation of your security, God has got some great things he can do through your life. Great things he can do. Awesome things he can do. Mind-blowing things that he can do. And it's when people get this. It's when churches get this truth. When churches get this truth, when a body gets this truth, they're the churches that get raised up and get, they capture a nation. Because they realize that God loves me and I can do all things through Christ because of Him giving me the strength. Amen? I can do it.
1: Um, I just, I really felt the Holy Spirit impress on me. Um, there's some people here that, um, well, I think we all would benefit from listening to this again online. I often listen to messages sometimes three times just to kind of get them in my spirit because the first time I can tell you how I felt about it, but then I begin to take more in-depth notes on it. If I take notes while he's speaking, I just get distracted by the notes note-taking. It's not how I process. Anyways, what I really felt Holy Spirit saying is there's some parents in the room that are extremely frustrated with your kids and your relationship with your kids. And I believe what Holy Spirit impressed on me to to share was that for you to get this message into your hearts, get it into your spirit, and then begin to implement it in your parenting. Because when your identity comes so much out of your doing and not out of your alignment with God, we don't mean to... But we can unintentionally impose that in our relationship with our kids. How oh, can we ever? Yeah. And it impacts the relationship with your kids. And it's not too late to get it right. So I believe that Holy Spirit wants to do some major adjusting. Uh, Kevin and I had to do some major adjusting in an area, uh, especially with our oldest. Of course, the oldest is paving the way in your parenting and your experimenting on that. <laughs> Taking them. the brunt of it is what she means. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, so, this is not just for you, this is for your lineage, Amen. for you to really get this in your spirit.
0: Amen. Um, we would like to just pray with you this morning. I, I know it's quarter two and your kids are out, and they're not quite running around in the parking lot, but they're ready to. So, if you've got children in ch- Children's Church, you need to go get them. Um, but I, would, I really feel that we would be remiss if we didn't lay hands on you this morning and ask God to uh, secure your understanding and your faith in who God has called you to be. To be able to accept him at his word. And, and so I'm not going to ask anybody to come up here, and, and, and I don't want you to come up and, and say, you know, I just don't know what God wants me to do. Hopefully, after hearing this message, you'll realize that, you know, that's a conversation that you have with God after you have settled the fact that what I do, what I do does not determine anything in my relationship with God. My relationship is secured by the work of Jesus Christ. He loves me. Whether I'm a pastor or a car salesman, doesn't matter. He loves me. You hear what I'm saying this morning? He adores me. He rejoices over me. He, he, he sings songs over me. He's thrilled with, with who I am and when I sin he still loves me and adores me just wants me to lay it down so my own health is not impaired by it he doesn't say oh well you sin now you're out come on seriously if Jesus went to all the trouble to die on the cross to secure my salvation do you think the first time I sin he kicks me out no it doesn't work that way he saved he, as I said he saved me and redeemed me from my sins past present and future it's all by Him. It's all by Him. And when you can rest in that security, then God can talk to you about what He wants you to do. And we just want to pray you this morning and, and, and just help you get to a place of resting in that revelation. This is who I am. I am loved by God. I'm a son. I'm an heir. I have at my disposal all of the resources of the kingdom of God. And my doing is going to come out of my uh, relationship with Him. I'm going to delight in Him, and the desires of my heart will come from me. Do you hear me? And that's how we partner with God, which is another message down the road. So, Father, I just ask today for every life in this place. Lord, we've talked about so many areas where uh, it exposes our inability to grasp and live from this revelation. And my wife just mentioned even, I think, probably one of the most key ones is when we go through difficult issues with our children and and uh or you know our, our kids are not where they need to be or, or or they're struggling with their own identity and somehow we feel like that means that there's something wrong with me no 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 there may be things that i can do to improve my parenting skills but jesus still adores me and And what is happening on the home front, the work front, any other thing, Lord, does not change your affections for me. And Lord, when I recognize how much you love me and adore me and that my identity is is secure in you, then Lord, I'm able to work better. I'm able to, to give better. I'm able to love better. I'm able to do all the things that I do in my assignment better when I know that, God, you love me. And that is never on the table. Father, I pray today that, Lord, you would help us to, Lord, always understand alignment before assignment and to keep it that way in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you right now. If you'd just like me to, to and get Barry up here in a few words, I want to pray for you.
1: I was going to say, if any of the parents of younger kids want, want prayer, if you come up quick, we'll pray for you first. Absolutely. Because uh, we just want to make sure that, so if parent, young parents... Younger kids, if you want to come up to this side, we'll uh, pray for you first, and then we'll go from there.